Please stand with me for the reading of this morning's text. This morning we are in Romans chapter 15 again, verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and with one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be in your house this morning. We are thankful that we serve a God who hears us, who delivers us from our fears, who answers our prayers. Lord, we come to you today as a weak people. We come to you needing your comfort and needing your hope. Lord, we pray that through your spirit and through the preaching of your word, that you will change us, that you will conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at the two groups of people listed in verse 1 of this passage, the strong and the weak. And we discussed the nature of each of these groups, how, they, how the weak tend to judge the strong, holding them to a higher standard in the scriptures, how they tend to speak evil of the strong, and how we are to consider that those who are weaker than us, who have a tender conscience, that we are not to judge them, or they serve another master. We saw that this idea of the weak and the strong is contrary to the culture that we live in. The culture that teaches us that the strong survive and the weak perish. That you are to triumph in your strength over the weak. That strength is weakness leaving the body. But we saw last week that those who are strong are to actually yield to those who are weak. They are to consider 
their brother's needs above their own. They are to consider their brother's weaknesses even before their own liberties. Ensuring that we in no way cause a weaker brother, one of these little ones, to stumble. We are to bear the infirmities of those for whom Christ died. We are to minister to them. We are to strengthen them. We are to build them up in the faith. We are to receive them as a brother in the faith and receive them as those who desire to follow Jesus and to be obedient to him. You see, whether we are weak or strong, the Lord calls us to consider the needs of others before our own. Whether we are weak or strong, we are to build up our neighbor, encouraging them in their faith and in their walk, encouraging them to follow Jesus with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, and with all of their strength. As you know, I have a grandson who is in the hospital this morning. And he has, he has been having a time this week. And my son is there ministering to him. Most of you know my son pretty well. He is a peculiar mix of my sins and Kimberly's sins. And we still love him. And yet this past week, I saw him yield his own desires and to consider the needs of his children and his family before his own. I was encouraging him this morning that he really needed to eat some food. I know that he didn't get much to eat yesterday and being in the hospital, it is hard to get good food. I know that Colton took him some food this morning, and I appreciate that. But as I was encouraging him to eat, he was responding, and it's a little hard to hear somebody's tone when you're texting, but knowing Sam, I think the response was a little short. He was telling me it was a little hard for him to eat because all week he had been cleaning up bodily fluids, shall we say. And that he felt like he had been covered in it all week. And I thought, there is a picture of the strong bearing the infirmities of the weak. For those of you who know my grandson, he can be impatient. He can be hard to minister Two, he is a very strong firstborn. He knows how things are supposed to go. And he is uh, not hesitant or shy in 
letting you know those things. But he needed to be ministered to this week. And I'm thankful that my son Samuel was able to do that. And that's what it looks like when we bear one another's burdens. I hope you can see yourself in the description of my son. That even as you are ministering to the weak, your frustrations can flare from time to time. Maybe you see yourself in my description of my grandson being hard to minister to, though in need nonetheless. But I see in this picture the strong ministering to the weak. And I see a picture of Christ. See, verse 3 in our passage tells us, For even Christ pleased not himself. I almost stopped at the first three words and just preached, For even Christ. For when we look deeply into the Scriptures, we see that it is written of Him from Genesis to Revelation. And if you look, if you see with the eyes of faith, you will see Christ bearing your reproaches. Sometimes through the example of His servants. Sometimes through His own example. When we see Jesus referred to here as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the Anointed One, as the One who was promised that He would come and that He would deliver His people. The Greater David, the Prince of Peace, the King over all kings and Lord of all lords. Creator of heaven and earth. The Creator and Sustainer of all things. By His power, all things are made. And by His power, all things are held together. It is this King, this Christ, who stepped into time. He set aside His glory. He became a man. He entered into time surrounded in controversy. As the King of King and Lord of Lords, He entered into a time and a place that was ruled and reigned by one of the most powerful empires the world has ever seen. I do not believe the contrast is by mistake or an accident.
This one who possessed all wisdom and power, riches, dominion, liberty. He became a servant. He became a slave. He became a man of no reputation. A man man without a house to dwell in. And you and I, you and I, in one of the great (laughs) mysteries of the universe, you and I have been redeemed, purchased, called out, bought, made children of God by that man, by his servanthood. And in it we are told that we partake of and we possess all that Jesus has. That you and I are joint heirs with Christ. Meaning everything he owns, you own. The wisdom, the power, dominion, authority, rule, reign. All spiritual blessings, we're told. We partake in his work. We are told that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We are told that God Himself has come and has taken up residence in us, in you. We are told that we partake of and have been granted the fruits of that Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We are told... We have been given the Word of God. And that the promise of this Word is that it will equip us with everything that we need for the journey that we are on. We have been called out of the world And we have been set to walking. And we are told that the Word of God 
equips us completely for this journey and that we lack nothing. There's nothing we need to, com there's nothing that we lack, there's nothing we still need to complete the journey and to fulfill our duty to the one who called us and to his people. And yet, you and I, like the apostles, we tend to think and we tend to live like and we tend to look like the world and the culture around us. We exercise our freedom and our liberty often driven by the desires of our flesh and the shiny trinkets of the world. We are all too often willing to spend our heritage, our inheritance, our birthright on the things of the world. On a mess of pottage. We know that Jesus is our example and that we are supposed to follow him. We profess that we are his followers. We say we are his disciples. We say we love him and his word and his people. And yet we often fail to live like he lived, to serve like he served, and to love like he loved us. It is quite remarkable when you think about it. Jesus who possessed all power and is the one who can grant power came to serve. He came to lay down his life for his people. He came to lay down his life for people who sinned against him, who rejected him, who despised him, who had spoken against him, who had rejected him. When Jesus had fasted, Satan tempted him. Satan knew who he was. He knew who he was dealing with him. But he tempted him to use his power to feed himself. But Jesus responded and said that he would rely on the word of God alone. Did he possess the power to make food? He did. 
We saw him do this later, right? He made wine at the wedding. He took bread and broke it and multiplied it with some fish. He fed those who sought him so much that there was food left over. Jesus was accused of all manner of sin. He was charged, among other things, of working on the Sabbath when he chose to heal. He was declared a drunkard and a glutton when he chose to love the unlovable. He was denounced for associating with tax collectors when he chose to redeem. He was reviled for having a devil when he chose to deliver. He was rejected and abandoned when he offered himself as the means of eternal life when he offered himself as that food and that drink to which one, when one partakes, they live forever. And many walked away, unable and unwilling to embrace the Lamb of God. You see, he took the guilt and the shame and the scorn and the reproach of those who had sinned against him. Christ suffered for our sins. The just for the unjust to bring you to God. You see, if you live and love as Jesus, you will suffer at the hands of those of your own household. As you bear one another's burdens, you will miss out on things the world has to offer. When you lay down your liberties for your brothers and your sisters, the world will consider you a fool. And you will be rejected by those who appear to be powerful and important. You will be persecuted like Jesus was. You will be misunderstood. You will be despised. You will be ridiculed. People will call your business practices into question. They will say all manner of evil and falsehoods against you as you lead your family 
and as you show them Jesus. You will be ridiculed for the way you conduct your life, for the personal convictions that you have in your desire to please the Lord. Ridiculed, made fun of. This may be the hardest one of all. We want to be well thought of. We want to be considered wise. We want to be considered somebody of importance. We want to be seen as strong. We want to be seen as cool. Relevant even. But brothers and sisters, we are called to be meek. The world does not understand meek. We struggle to understand it ourselves. But our passage today tells us to look to Jesus. Look to His examples. You and I are called to live and to love like He did. We see in those passages about our Lord that it is difficult, that it is hard, that we will struggle to do it well, that we will suffer, that we will miss out. But our passage also tells us something else, that as we read through the Scriptures and as we see Jesus... And as we see his example, it will build in us faith. It will encourage us in our walk. It will strengthen us. It will show us the hope that is in Jesus. Our passage tells us that we are to learn from what has been written. That it is an example to us. It quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, which is originally written by David about himself. But we see here in Romans 15 that it is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And that that's who David was actually talking about. Our passage encourages us to read and to hear and to see the Scriptures with new eyes. It is difficult sometimes... Remember when we were in the Minor Prophets? It is difficult sometimes to see Jesus and to see His example in the passages that we are reading. But that's what our passage today calls us to do. It tells us to see Jesus and His example. 
I want to encourage you and go back and read Psalm 86 that we read this morning. It speaks of suffering and how the Lord responds. But I want to look at John 13 for just a moment. I want you to see that what is laid out for us in this passage in Romans 15, we see Jesus live out in John 13. I want you to picture this. Jesus rises from supper and he lays aside his garments just as he laid aside his glory and stepped into time. And he took a towel and girded himself. He took that position of a servant, of a slave. And he takes the water and pours it into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. You see this? He takes the water of the word and he begins to wash his bride. He began to wash the feet of those who would carry the gospel to the four corners of the world. But Jesus takes his garment and he wipes away the dirt, the filth, the stain of his disciples. He set aside his heavenly garments and he took on the lowly garments of a servant and then he used them to bear the infirmities of the weak, to bear the reproaches of them who would reproach him. And then he even says, know you not what I have done to you? You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and Master has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, Neither is he that sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. See, I don't make this stuff up. This passage tells us that if we humble ourselves like Jesus did, we take the role of a servant, we bear the infirmities of the weak, we will know Jesus. And we will know Him who sent Jesus. And in knowing these things, 
says it right here. We'll be happy. Jesus tells us these things so that we can have hope. None of his disciples volunteered for this job. This was a custom in their time. We've seen it several places in the Scriptures. And yet Jesus, as Lord and Master, gives us the example. He set aside His authority. He set aside His power, His position. And He washed the dirt off the disciples' feet. And I need to remind you, he was looking towards the crucifixion. He was looking towards the wrath that was going to come. He was looking towards bearing the shame and the agony and separation from his father. And he knew that his disciples, one would betray him and the rest would abandon him. They would run like scared rabbits. Our passage today tells us to stand fast. That you have been given the power of God's Word and His Spirit and that you are to hold fast. You are to persevere in serving. You are to bear one another's burdens even and maybe especially when the circumstances get tough and when you're tired and when you know, you know it's going to cost you. It's going to cost your reputation. It's going to cost your position. It's going to cost you some prestige, at least in the eyes of the world. But I want you to think on this. You have been called to serve. You have been called to labor in the King of Glory's kingdom. And what you work on in the kingdom is eternal. It is everlasting, unlike most of the work we do here on earth. It's temporary. It is in vain. You have been called to serve the weak among us. And I have observed you doing this. I see you discipling your children. I see you discipling one another. I see you discipling those who don't want to be discipled. I see you encouraging those who are down. I've seen you, when you're down, encourage others 
who are down. This is what it looks like to build the house. This is what it looks like to build up one another. Remember, we're a spiritual house. Remember when we talked about that? Your labor is not in vain, it is eternal. In Psalm 69, we see this passage that is quoted in Romans 15. That Jesus would bear the reproaches of those who reproached Him. But there is more here. I want to run over some of it quickly. For in these words is the comfort and the hope that Jesus wants you to hear. In Psalm 69.1, David starts out by saying, Save me, O God. He cries out in his distress. In verse 3, he says that he is waiting for or hoping in his God. He is enduring this suffering. He knows that his God, in verse 13, in the multitude of his mercies will hear him. In verse 14, that he will deliver him out of the mire and will not let him sink. That he will be delivered from those who hate him and out of the deep water of trouble. David cries out, Hear me, O Lord. For thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Hide not your face in my time of trouble. This is not only our comfort, but it is our example. This is how we serve one another. We hear when someone cries, and we respond in loving kindness. And in mercy. David talks of Jesus the Messiah in several places in this psalm. But he concludes it like this. I will praise the name of God with a song. David responded in hope. He responded in patience to his trouble. By singing praises to the one that he knew would deliver him. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that has horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad. And your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord hears the poor, and He despises not the prisoners. Let the heaven and the earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moves therein. For God will save Zion 
That's you. For God will save Zion and will build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and have it in possession. The seed also of his servant shall inherit it, and they that love his name shall dwell therein. David knows the mercy and the graciousness of God. He has lived it time and time again. He has cried out, and God has heard him. And God has delivered him out of his troubles. I like David because he reminds me of us. He loves the Lord. And he stumbles and he falls. And the scriptures do not hide this. But David responds in repentance and in thanksgiving to a merciful father who delivers him not only out of his life's troubles, but knows that he is secure in heaven, that his heart is possessed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will deliver him into all eternity. And a quick note here. This merciful God, this gracious God, the strong who bears our infirmities, extends his promises to you and to your children. He is a God of promise. He is a God of covenant. He loves you and your children and your children's children and the generations to follow. And it is that Jesus, that faithful covenant-keeping God, who bore your sins and the sins of your children. And he bore your shame and the shame of your children. And he washes us. He makes us clean. He makes us to dwell in Zion. He gives us a new name and adopts us into his family. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That encouraged and supported by your word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the joyful hope of eternal life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.